And starting in the Gospel of Luke and in chapter 8, this is what the scriptures say. Then they had come to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, stepped out on the land, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean, some translations say, an impure spirit. Hear me today, friend. You don't need to be a demon hunter. When you walk in the spirit, you don't have to find demons. They'll find you. And demons are part of the fall. But you've been given authority over them by virtue of the cross. However, they are still at work in the lives of people today through the principle of agreement. For what you agree with in your spirit, you will manifest and release through your life. This is how Paul talks about the kingdoms of darkness to the church in Corinth. He says, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, Christians, they can't be possessed by a demon. There is no record of that in scripture, and frankly, it is bad theology to believe it. When you get saved, you become possessed by the Holy Spirit, and he will not share the throne of your heart with another. However, Christians can be oppressed by the enemy, and many are. See, oppression comes in many forms. It can look like fear, infirmity, heaviness, intimidation, anxiety. Oppression looks like a foothold in your life that the enemy exploits for the purpose of keeping you in bondage. Oppression is broken in your life by virtue of prayer, confession, submission, and discipleship. And in fact, the process of sanctification which is the process of being made holy and righteous. It looks like the unwrapping of the grave clothes that used to identify your life when you lived amongst the tombs. No, we are not afraid of the demonic. We are aware of the demonic. But I've got more faith in the power of God to save me than the power of the enemy to deceive me. See, my job is not to be an expert on what hell wants to do, but instead on a kingdom that is advancing by force, doing violence against darkness every day of the week and six times on Sunday. And see, some people, they, they just become experts in the devil's camp. They've developed charts and graphs and systems and words and terminology. Pretty soon under every rock a demon lays. Every time Starbucks gets your order wrong, it's a demonic attack. We've become so over-informed by the kingdom of darkness that we end up serving a big devil and worshiping a little Jesus. And can I tell you, the enemies of darkness have been disempowered. They struck his heel, but he has crushed their head. And what it looks like for you and I to live a victorious Christian life is simply to remind the enemy of his future every time he tries to remind us of our past. Now watch. The Bible says that Jesus set sail towards the region of the Gadarenes, or in more specific terms, the city of Gadara. Today, this city still exists on the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. 
Gadara was a special city for this reason. It was considered a gateway city to a region named Decapolis. Decapolis from the Greek word deca, meaning 10, was a collection of 10 cities that was filled with Gentiles and dominated by pagan worship and false idols. It was a region filled with unbelievers. It was a territory harassed by demonic entities. It was a land void of any gospel witness. And this is exactly the type of place Jesus needed to go. And here's the good news. Jesus still sets his sails to go in the direction of lost places because he hasn't come as a doctor for the healthy, but instead for the sick. In many ways, I think of Snohomish like I think of Gadara. It is the first city in a region, but it's got to represent at least 10 more cities that need spirit-filled churches knocking down the gates of hell. See, Decapolis was completely absorbed in the worship of pagan idols. Their principal deity was a god named Zeus, who was considered the god of thunder, lightning, rain, and wind. Oh, don't you remember what is happening just prior to Jesus and disciples reaching the shores of Gadara? A great storm with wind and rain is thrashing their boat. Jesus is asleep and the disciples think that they're going to die. And so what does Jesus do? He stands up and he rebukes the storm and the disciples make it safely to the other side. Oh, the region knows what's coming. It's false gods are trying to do everything they can to prevent the breakthrough that is arriving. And you got to know this morning, if the enemy wasn't threatened with your destination, he wouldn't be trying so hard to stop your journey. You've got to realize there are entire regions that are hanging in the balance of your obedience and that's exactly why the enemy has tried so hard to sink your boat and is this not why Jesus says in John 16 in this world you will have trouble but be of good cheer for in fact I have overcome the world and you know what today this is what remains of the temple of Zeus in the Decapolis region it's nothing but a fallen piece of architecture representing a defeated pagan god. He couldn't stop Jesus, and his little friends won't stop us. See, I want you to notice what the scriptures say. It says, when Jesus stepped out on the land, immediately there met him a man with an unclean spirit. Hear me today, you don't have authority in the land until you are willing to step out on the land. Well, I wish God would just take care of every obstacle before I ever arrive. No, the table he makes for you is in front of your enemies. Meaning this, you better get comfortable going to difficult places because that's where your table is. And some problems won't ever get solved until the people of God are willing to step foot in places that other people have fled. You see, last week I stood at the Western Wall in Jerusalem 
And I, I prayed this prayer. I asked God that he would give us a property in Kirkland. I, I asked that he would suddenly pour out his spirit on Seattle. I asked that he would unleash the harvest across the Northwest. Oh friend, I know that this is a difficult place, but there is a region that hangs in the balance and we will not relent until people who are living in the tombs find their home in the kingdom of God. Now watch, the story continues. Now this man, he had his dwelling amongst the tombs. He lived there. It wasn't just his association. He wasn't just passing through. No, he made his dwelling in the graveyard and no one could bind him, not even with chains. For he'd often been chained with hand and foot, but he tore him chains apart. He broke the irons off his feet. No one watch was strong enough to subdue him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. It's actually the demonic counterfeit of what is happening around the throne of God. Day and night, they worship crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Until you accept the efficacious blood of Christ on your behalf that forgives your sin, erases your shame, and heals your body, you will always find yourself in an act of self-mutilation, trying to do in your flesh what Christ has already done on your behalf. Let me set the scene for you. This man is so demonized, the village don't know what to do, so they chain him up in the graveyard and abandon him to his own self-destruction. And if you think that village was bad, just be thankful this man didn't live in any of our cities today. We would have built a monument to his demons. We would have given each of them a TikTok account. We would have signed them up for government benefits and affirmed their unique identities by celebrating possession under the banner of tolerance and diversity. See, eventually this man becomes so overpowered by darkness and bondage that his outside circumstance begins to imitate his inside reality. He was living in the tombs because death lived inside of him. He was wrapped in chains because bondage was all that he knew. He was cutting himself with stones because he had hated what he had become. See, friend, you can't medicate a demon away. You can't negotiate a demon away. You can't legislate a demon away. I'm here to tell you this morning, every problem we face in our society has a spiritual root. And until you deal with the spiritual nature of a thing, you will only ever address symptoms until you are too tired to do anything else. And because we are so enlightened and we are so educated in the West, we have in large part denied the spiritual world while attached our hope to the material one. We can have all the affordable housing in the world and Seattle would still deal with a homelessness crisis. And do you know why? Because at its root, homelessness isn't an economic issue, it's a spiritual one. We can have all the rehab facilities in the world and Everett would still deal with a drug and alcohol crisis. And do you know why? Because at its root, addiction isn't a biological issue. It's a spiritual one. And until you get authority in the high place, you won't have victory in the low place. Remember, 
Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and powers. Where? In the high places. That's why the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in battle for the pulling down of strongholds. And sometimes the people of God and the church of God get so busy addressing low-hanging symptoms because we have under-realized our authority to deal with the spiritual root of the problems that plague our society. And until you get victory above, you only have temporary, shallow progress below. What plagues our cities most is not material issues, but spiritual ones. I want you to see what the scriptures say. They say no one was strong enough to subdue him. They tried. They tried everything they know how to do. They castigated him, they ostracized him, they kicked him out of their community, and all he did was shriek even louder and louder and louder. No one was strong enough to subdue him, and here's why. Because when you're dealing with a principality and a power, the issue is not your strength, it's your authority. Now watch, you can have the biggest muscles in the world, but when you get pulled over on the way home from the gym for speeding, the issue isn't who has more strength, it's who has more authority. See, in Matthew 7, the crowds were amazed because Jesus taught with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. In Luke 7, a Roman centurion servant is healed because he tells Jesus, I understand how this works because I am a man under authority. When the Roman centurion says that, Jesus responds and says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is the most magnificent demonstration of faith is a man who understands authority. See, authority is like bad breath. When you have it, you don't have to tell anyone. They just know. And when you're engaged in spiritual conflict, what is most evident in your life is your God-given level of authority. And hear me today, in order for you to have authority over something, you have to be submitted under something, for we are not autonomous islands of sovereign authority unto ourselves. And in fact, your level of submission determines your level of authority. Now in the church world, submission's become a dirty word because it has been so misabused by people who preach it with theologically impure motives. And you've gotta understand that that is an attack from the enemy to rob the church from talking about something that is so crucial to our Christological development. The Bible says, submit yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord and in due time, he will give you supernatural promotion. I'm here to tell you this morning, submission is not bondage, it is freedom. And when you don't find yourself covered by a house or under the banner of something bigger than yourself, you operate as a free ranger you, you operate as a lone ranger or a free agent in this spiritual life. You operate as kind of this autonomous, sovereign, disembodied spirit floating around because you're a gift to the body of Christ. Here's the reality, friend. When you're alone, you're not safe. That's why the Bible says the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. 
you and I both together need Christian community more than we've ever dared to imagine. Because when we get alone, we get picked off. And in doing so, we become an easy target for the enemy. No, when you find yourself submitted to authority, what it releases in your life is authority for the conducting of the Father's business in the world around you. See, when Jesus sets foot on the land, he is going to place, he is going to a place the enemy never dared he would. Think about it. A Jewish rabbi walking onto Gentile land into a graveyard and close to a herd of pigs, this would have made him ceremonially unclean. The enemy never dared to imagine that Jesus would forego the stipulations of the Mosaic law and step foot in the region of the Gadarenes. But in like manner, I'm telling you, this church is going to every graveyard in this city. We're going to take authority over every unclean spirit in these neighborhoods. The enemy never dared to imagine we'd take a swing at Kirkland or Seattle, but I have heard the cry from the man in the tombs, and we're going to do something about it. This village had heard this man shrieking in torment day and night for how long? For how many months? And for how many years were they content to allow the enemy to so harass a man that he was out of his mind tormented in a graveyard? And I feel like in many ways, that's an indictment on the church in our region. For too long, we have sat as passive observers while the enemy has wreaked havoc on individuals and families. But I'm telling you this, when you hear the call of the man in the Gadarenes, what it does is it represents a question that echoes in the chambers of your heart, similar to the call that Paul heard from the man in Macedonia. Will you come and help us? Will you come be a light in the midst of my darkness? Will you come bring an opposite word that could cause life to reign supreme all around me? Are we just going to complain about how dark the darkness is getting? Or are we going to so allow our light to shine that God re-inherits the people of God and the church of God with land that the enemy has illegally occupied for generations? The Bible says this man is shrieking. He's crying out day and night. Now watch, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. One translation says, and the man worshipped at his feet. And with a shriek, he cried out, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Peter, a disciple of Christ, doesn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God until Mark 8. Yet an individual with a demon correctly identifies who Jesus is three chapters earlier in Mark 5. And how can this be true? Well, James tells us even the demons believe and they tremble. You may not yet recognize what is happening here in this church or what is beginning to happen all across this region, but I can promise you this. As sure as I am standing here today, we are starting to see the promised outpouring of God's Spirit once again in the Northwest. And every demon in hell knows because the advancement of God's kingdom is putting them on notice. Their time is limited, their power is fading, and their territory is decreasing. Jesus hasn't even said a word. 
All he did was get off the boat. And the demoniac says, the Messiah is here. He's going to interfere with my life. And he's going to torture my darkness. Do you know that your spirit announces you before you ever show up? You don't even have to say a word. You get off the boat and all of a sudden, what is inside of you begins to manifest all around you and your spirit begins to communicate exactly who you are. And I love that the man is reaching this conclusion. Jesus, the son of God, is here. He's going to get rid of my darkness and he is going to torture my demons. And I hope that that is what people feel when the pursuit announces that we're planting in different cities all across this region. Before they ever check out our social media, before they ever watch a sermon that I preach on a Sunday morning, I hope the spirit of this community announces to every principality, power, and stronghold across these cities that God is opening doors that no man can close, that we are not here to negotiate with darkness. We are here to overcome darkness with light, and in doing so, see the kingdom of God spread like violent wildfire all around us. And Jesus said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the region. You got to see the, the interplay with the words that is being recorded in, in, in this story. Jesus says, what is your name? The man responds, Legion. And then the demon says, whatever you do, do not send us out of the region. So hear me, friend, there is a legion in the region, but Jesus is on the move. You see that name legion? It was actually a military term, meaning a unit of 6,000 men. I want you to see what's happening in the text. When the enemy gains a foothold in your life, he doesn't have to ask for individual permission to invite all of his friends. When he has an open door, he'll move in stuff like trauma, bondage, addiction, darkness, infirmity, stuff that wasn't even connected to your original source of pain. If every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights, then what do you think the father of lies brings to those that he afflicts? But I want you to notice something specific. The demons beg Jesus, do not send us out from the region. Now why? Because they were on assignment in that location and they received their power from the agreement of the people in that region. No, the demons don't care about the man in the tombs. The demons are just using him so that they can have a legal right to conduct business on the region around him. And until you address that territorial stronghold or that regional spirit, you won't have the authority to conduct spiritual business. See, Jesus is greeted by a spirit, and prior to doing the Father's business, he exposes and takes authority over an entire region. Now, when I was in Israel, I felt like the Lord spoke to me in regards to this sermon and said this, when a region loses its lid, all of heaven breaks loose. Do you think we're doing a stadium event because it's fun or cheap or easy or non-controversial? Every week I get a message from somebody letting me know that they're showing up to protest outside the stadium. 
I said, well, welcome. I'll save you a spot at the altar when you want to get born again. I'm doing this event because it's necessary to help lift the lid off this region. And as we do so, heaven rushes in on the back of our obedience and people come into salvation and deliverance. Well, why are you doing a miracle crusade? Because one of the territorial spirits in the Northwest is the spirit of infirmity. It follows people around like a shadow. You got more people sick here in more concentration than just about anywhere in the entire nation. And so why are we just doing a miracle crusade and praying for the sick and people are bringing their neighbors and folks are gonna be coming from hospital rooms in wheelchairs and on beds. Why are we doing that? Because I am confronting the very prince of darkness that thinks he has authority in this region. I'm gonna confront it. I'm gonna provoke it. I'm gonna name it. I'm gonna cast it out. And in doing so we're going to lift the lid off the northwest so all of heaven can rush in. You don't get victory below until you take authority above. Now the Bible says a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains and all the demons they begged him saying send us into the swine that we may enter them and at once Jesus gave them permission then the unclean spirits, they went out and they entered the swine. And what happened? The herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and they immediately drowned in the sea. Why? Jesus is exposing the eventual outcome of what every demon in hell desires to do in your life, which is ultimately steal, kill, and destroy. And the Bible says this, amazingly, and the people began to plead with Jesus, leave our region. Isn't it wild that when people get free, when people get healed, when people get delivered, the response from the religious crowd is leave our region and give us back our legion. In 1890, two years before his death, the great English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon shared a sermon from this text and he said these words. It was a great calamity that had happened that day. The swine had run into the sea. The townspeople did not want any more such calamities. Did Jesus possess extraordinary power? Yes. Had he not healed the demoniac? Yes. Well, they did not want him. They did not want anything extraordinary. They were easygoing men who would like to go on with the even tenor of their way. So they asked Jesus to be good enough to go away. And there are some people of that kind still living today. They say, we do not want a revival here. We are too respectable. We do not want any stirring preaching here. We are very comfortable. Do not break up our peace. Such men, when they think that God is at work in any place, are half inclined to go elsewhere. They want to be quiet. Their motto is anything for a quiet life. Leave us alone. Let us go on our old way is the cry of these foolish people as it was the cry of the Israelites when they said to Moses, let us alone. 
stone that we may serve the Egyptians. Oh, dear friend, if there be any such reason why you do not want Christ to come your way, I pray that his Holy Spirit may convince you that you do need to come your way, that you would be sure of this. If you do not desire to be converted, if you do not wish to be born again, you are the exact person above all others needing to be converted and to be born again. It is not a most unwise decision when for the sake of swine we are willing to part with Christ. The townspeople are incensed. How dare Jesus cause our swine to drown in the sea? But isn't that the tragedy of the human condition? We want freedom for our future without having to give up things that are unclean in our present. We want to receive the freedom that God promises, but at the same time, keep the pigs that man has provided. And what if I told you that even though our bondage is wrong and it's dysfunctional, when it's familiar, it'll make you feel right at home. See, Jesus cleansed a man by casting out a demon. He cleansed a region by clearing out some pigs. For God isn't just interested in your personal freedom. He is after the graveyard that you've called a home. He is after the tombstone that you've called an identity. He's after the region that you thought was too far gone. Oh friend, it is still true today. It is the most unwise of decisions for the sake of swine to be willing to part with Christ. You know how the story ends. This man is delivered and he is set free. And in doing so, he begged Jesus that he might go with him. However, Jesus did not permit. He said, go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had great compassion on you. And the Bible says the man departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all the people marveled. You gotta see it today, friend. Jesus has the power to save people and destroy demons. Jesus didn't just deliver a man. He freed a region from a stronghold that had held the gospel back. Oh, you may not think it's a big deal when one person gets saved or one person gets healed or one person gets delivered, but I can promise you this. Every time the enemy loses his grip on a person, the sound of freedom echoes in the region. And I love the instruction of Jesus. Go home and tell every one of your friends how Christ has had compassion on you. See, I think the quickest way to get a new miracle is to testify about your last one. I was bound up in addiction, but Jesus had compassion. I was suicidal and depressed, but Jesus had compassion. I was out of my mind. I was isolated from my community. I was ready to give up on my life, but Jesus had compassion. And I am telling you, we still serve the one who weeps over the condition of cities and regions, even as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how I have desired you like a hen to gather chicks under my wings, but you have resisted me. We still serve the Jesus who imparts to us a compassion for cities and regions that are lost in darkness and sin, who still gives us the gift of grace and mercy for the demoniac that are in the gatherings. We still serve the Jewish rabbi who is unaware
afraid to walk into every graveyard of the human condition and declare that freedom and resurrection is coming our way. And I'm telling you, as the church of Jesus Christ, this is our message to the demoniacs in the Northwest. There is a greater power that is seated on a greater throne that is housed by a greater God. And at his name, the dead live, the bound are set free, and the oppressed come into breakthrough. That's the God we serve. I heard it in my spirit. I hear the sound of chains breaking off. I heard it in my spirit. The sound of shrieks turning into songs of praise. I heard it in my spirit. The sound of townspeople gasping with amazement that there is a church with this type of authority working in the Northwest. I'm here to put every devil in hell on notice. We are on the winning side of eternity and I'm coming for every lost man or woman in the tombs. I have heard the cry and we will Go! That is who we are. And that, my friend, is the type of God that we serve. Come on, let me pray for you this morning. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you would prepare our nets for the great catch of fish in the days and weeks that are ahead that you would prepare our hearts to still be moved by compassion for the least, the lost, and the last. That you would fill our spirits with courage, not timidity, knowing that you have given us the authority to pull down strongholds and lift lids off the region. God, I pray that just for a moment, on Easter Sunday, we would see the roof lifted off that place. We would see the lid lifted off a region. We would see the light piercing through our darkness. We would see the clouds beginning to part. We would hear the shout of God, the shout of triumph rising up from within your people. God, I pray for breakthrough and deliverance and healings and household salvations that on Easter Sunday, as we rally the region to worship the resurrected Jesus, all of a sudden the spiritual graves and people's lives would open up and the dead would live again. May that be true in our city. And we say, swing wide, you ancient gates, and open up, you ancient doors, and let the King of glory come in. For who is this King of glory? He is mighty, and he is strong in battle. So I say over you, Snohomish, give up your dead. And I say over you, Seattle, give up your dead. And I say over you, Kirkland, give up your dead. For the King of glory is here, and we pray the prayer of Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, save your people, revive your church, and restore our cities.